Good to see you this morning. I know it's a, it's a long weekend. A lot of people are away, uh, and that's okay, and a lot of people are scared. I heard a theory this last couple of weeks, a theory about the, the COVID. Do you want to hear it? Please don't, this is what he said, please don't take the injection. And I said, why? He said, you'll be dead in two years. And I said, great, I'll be with Jesus. <laughs> So take the injection, all right, and you'll be gone in two years. You don't have to wait any longer. Oh, man, we've got some theories going around, haven't we? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Going back about, um, about five years ago now, uh, while Annie and myself were ministering in, in Darwin, a church in uh, Darwin, which we loved in, enormously, I came across, um, in my research, I, I came across what is called the Brisbane Line. Has anybody heard of the Brisbane Line? No, no, the Brisbane line. Don't, don't interrupt me, girl. Did you see that? That was my wife. For those who are watching, that was my wife. Wait till we get home, all right? <laughs> but the Brisbane line is a, is a line that goes from Brisbane to Broome, as you can see that. That was the line that they, the government of the day decided because in World War II, the Japanese were, were, uh, were coming. And uh, so the government decided that if they're, going to, if they're going to attack us, we will let them go this far from the Brisbane line uh, to Broome upwards. So that was where they could take, but they could come no, no further down. Now, it's interesting, but at that time in the Second World War, the, the majority of people who, uh, who lived in, in that area were indigenous. Interesting, isn't it? So in other words, what they were saying is we're really not worried about those people so long as we look after us, us people, which is, you know, as you look at it today, it's quite, <laughs> quite astounding when you think about how we thought back then. Now, keep in mind also that the Darwin saw over 70 bombings that took place at, at that particular time. And the idea was that the Japanese could invade the beaches. They could come this far south, but that's it. We're not going to allow them to take any more. And when I heard about that, when I was researching that, I said, Lord, if that's the case in the physical realm, what about in the spiritual realm? What would happen if we applied that to the spiritual realm? In other words, uh, Satan, you can come this far into my life, but that's it. In other words, I'll compromise certain areas of my life and I'll stand up and say, enough is enough when you get that far into my life and you're coming no further. Because what Satan does is he invades. We know that. He invades our life, but he starts off by invading small areas of our lives. Part of our lives that we think, oh, that's, that's not so important, you know, that area. I can compromise in this and it'll be okay. For many, you've, you've drawn a line and you've said, you can come this far, Satan. In other words, you won't come any further. And we're seeing this particularly in the Western world where we have compromised our walk, we've compromised our values, we've compromised even our morals. You know, as I was looking and reading through, through Romans and Corinthians this past couple of weeks, I've realised that 
The days that we're living in are no different to the days back then. It was just as horrific and just as bad. So we're kind of going around on a circle. We get around by saying we can, we can, we can live in a, in a different society. And that's true. We do live in a different society. But I, I need to tell you today that Satan doesn't live in a different society. He doesn't at all. He is just as deceitful today as what he's always been since the fall. Always. All he does is sugarcoat what he offers unto us, like he did with, with Eve and Adam. He sugarcoated it and said, it's okay. It's not a problem. Folks, I make no apologies today for repeating a quote out of a book that I read a number of years ago now. It's kind of become a little bit of a, a mission statement for me in some ways by a man by the name of Tony, Tommy Tenney. And it's up on the screen. Let me read it to you. God chases have a lot in common. Particularly, they are not interested in camping out on some dusty truth known to everyone. They are after a fresh, pres fresh presence of the Almighty. Sometimes their pursuit raises the eyebrows of existing church. But usually they lead the church from a place of dryness back into the place of his presence. Remember the quote that I said last Sunday, when you enter his presence with praise, he enters your circumstances with power. So that's why I love the gathering together of the saints. When we come together, we come into his presence in this collective way. He enters our circumstances. He enters into our life. He starts to challenge us in how we live. God chases love his presence but so often when God moves in a certain way our minds so often get offended when God starts to move and God starts to do things that are outside of our Baptist or our theological understanding and our minds get offended folks if you are or want to be a God chaser in other words you are after a fresh presence of being in his presence you certainly won't be happy just looking at God's tracks of where he's been. But we'll want to follow them until you apprehend his presence now, today. The difference between truth and revelation is simple. Truth is where God has been. Truth. Revelation is where God is right now in June 2021. I believe that the average Christian is kind of happy just lingering around in truth where God's been. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But God wants more. God wants more for you. In other words, we become embalmers of the past rather than the enablers of the future. And many Christian churches are good at doing that. They're good at embalming things. Oh, this is how we did it 30 years ago and it worked 30 years ago. Whatever it might be. I was blessed to watch and hear a Catholic priest, Father Bob, who was a priest in Melbourne. He was being interviewed by, uh, by the press at, at an Australian concert, Australia Day concert. And he asked them a question, what would I have to do to get you into my church? What would I have to do to get you into my church? 
The answer was predominantly change the music, sing songs that are relevant to our generation. Now, we can, we can cast all the dispersions on that and say, oh, well, they, they don't understand the great hymns and the great this and the great that. That's not what it's about. They're asking the question, what would we need to do to get you into our church? And they're saying, sing songs that are relevant to them. Doesn't mean you throw out the theology, but we need to sing songs that are relevant. Now, we may not agree with that, but at least we need to listen to what they are saying. Now, while that was interesting, the the mere fact that he was escorted around this, this concert on national television to me was fantastic. I had to ask myself the question, why was he asked? I believe it's because he was prepared to be out there and to push the boundaries. Some theological and even some denominational barriers, he was out there and pushing them. He certainly does. In fact, I was kind of happy the way he was going about doing it. You know, I believe our combined church service a few weeks ago was saying just that. We're pushing the boundaries. We want to get out there. Because people are not flocking to the church, folks. I don't know if you realise that. And we need to get out into our community, reconnect with our community. The vision that we're looking at as a a leadership, and it's far from being in, in concrete, but let me just put it out there for you. To help people find God grow with their faith, discover their purpose and make a difference. That's a possibility of what we're going to be looking at over the coming days, to help people find God. How are we going to do that? By sitting in our churches? I don't think so. Grow in their faith. Discover their purpose. And make a difference. There are so many people in today's society that feel they've got no purpose in life. And we've got so much anxiety that's going on. And as Linda, as you pointed out, so much fear going on in society because they don't feel they've got a purpose in life. One of the, thing, one of the messages that the Christian church has got is that we offer them hope. Hope for for a certainty that one day Jesus is coming back. Let me ask you as a congregation the hard question, and it is a hard question I've had to ask myself. Would anybody, anyone outside of KBC, weep if this church was to pull out of this area? Would anyone notice? Would anybody care? Would anybody shed a tear? Or they might feel, oh, gee, there's no cars out there today. But would they be concerned about it? Someone once said the only bad way to engage our community in service is to not to engage at all. Folks, I agree with this type of vision for the church and and I know that each of you desire to be a New New Testament Christian church. Because the bottom line, according to the people that, that Father Bob interviewed, are sick of what the church offers, as it's so much less than, than what this book talks about. As I've often said to congregations, we want signs and wonders. 
We, we, we want to see miracles so long as it fits our logical understanding. You see, the New Testament church, the early church, saw the power and the evidence of the Holy Spirit every time they came together as a, as a congregation. They saw miracles. They, they witnessed the presence of the Spirit of God in a, in a, in a tangible way. I think it would be true to say that the first real step towards understanding about the fire of God or the, or the river of God or revival is to recognise that we as a church in Australia are on a state of decline and we need Jesus to desperately show up in the midst of his people. Church, don't give up praying that prayer that I challenged you with a few weeks ago. Lord, do it again. Do it again. Let the fire fall. Let the river start to start to flow. That, that should be our prayer. Should be our desire. Why are people not coming to church anymore? Is it because of religiosity? The churches with its rules and its its regulations? You know, you can't come here because or you can't become this because of. I love what Paul talks about in, 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 his, in his letters to the churches. You know, don't get bogged down by rules and regulations. Be free. Jesus came to set us free. And we need to be people who are free, not bogged down with, with rules. Ephesians 1.17, as was read this morning, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom and revelations. Folks, I have no doubt that the Lord desires a fresh revelation to be brought to the hearts of his people, including Kerrang Baptist Church. I know that I know for a fact this is, this is the absolute heart of your eldership, to see this type of thing, a fresh revelation of the presence of God come into our midst. We pray for that each time we meet. And friends, if you are living God's way, we automatically fulfill the vision, not, the, not in reverse. Dr. Edwin Cole, who's an American guy that worked very closely with, uh, with men, and I got so much out of him taught me a principle a number of years ago when he spoke powerfully into my spirit on four areas. Revelation, inspiration, formalization, and then crystallization. It's interesting to note that every time God wants to start something new, he will bring a fresh word of revelation and he will always impart it into the hearts of his servants. Right throughout history, this principle is the same, right from Adam and Eve all the way through. <clears throat> For example, the, the Dark Ages, God spoke a word into, a, in, into the life of a man by the name of Martin Luther. And the word was, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Luther was so inspired by the word that he nailed his thesis to the wall of the cathedral. 
And in doing so, he formalized it by bringing it about. That is known as the Great Reformation. He then institutionalized it by forming what is now known as the Lutheran Church. How far have we moved away from Revelation? I'll come back to that. John Wesley was another one who had the same pattern. The word that was received was the word sanctification. The word inspired him so much that he eventually commenced what is now known as the, holiest, the holiness movement. Some of you have heard of that. Because Wesley was so methodical, he brought about the beginnings of what is known as the Methodist Church, or in Australia now, of course, the Uniting Church. Again, how far are we moving away from the revelation that God placed in with this man, these men? In the 1900s, you have a new word that came to a small group of people in Azusa in America. And that word was, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world. And this small group of people who came out of the holiness movement began to believe it. And they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to talk about the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. And they became known as Pentecostals. What so often happens in church life is that we get this great revelation to start a church. We get inspired by the word, so we, we formalize it by, by getting different people around us to say, yes, I think this would be good. And then eventually we institutionalize it and we call it a Baptist church or whatever it might be. But unless we continually go back to revelation, back to that fresh revelation, we end up crystallizing, which means we dry up and we die. Isn't that exactly what's happening all around us? There are churches closing their doors everywhere or should do. Because they have crystallized, they've dried up, they've died. They failed to go back to that fresh revelation. Why did God bring us here? Why did God set this up? And what happens is they go through the motions without the emotions. And any one of us can do that without experiencing the glory of God and his presence. Any elder, any deacon, any youth leader or congregation can simply go through the motions week after week, but never touching a person's heart. I remember watching a, a video that somebody gave me to encourage me to go to a, a revival that was happening in America. And I listened to this man who was a, had been a pastor for 30 years, and he said, I felt like I was on a merry-go-round. He said, I'd get up in the morning, I'd do my work, I'd come home, have my tea, go to bed, and I'd get up in the... And it was like a merry-go-round. How many of us feel like we're on that merry-go-round, just going round and round, but getting nowhere? Again, quoting Father Bob when he said, we've got to stop appealing to people's heads or their minds and start preaching to their hearts. Friends, we won't change our lives by changing our minds or turning over a four-leaf clover or something. 
There needs to be a renewing of the mind. But it's, it's not more information we need, but it's transformation is what we need. My Bible says that out of the heart comes the issues of life. And I've said this before, when I had my heart um, bypass, my emotions started to go in all different directions, still do. Because I thought it was up here, but it's down here. Because that's where the emotional charge is. That's where God places everything. Even memory is in there. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. Folks, this principle that, that Ed Cole shared with me can apply to so many areas of our lives. Take, for instance, I just want to mention a couple of areas. One would be employment. Employment. You can have been told about this certain job possibility and you believe that God could give you this opportunity. So you get inspired when you read the, the job description and, and you apply for the job and, and when they offer you the job, you, you formalise it by signing the contract and then you institutionalise it by starting the work, the work, the job. But if you don't continually go back to that fresh revelation, why did God give me this job? In other words, why did God place me here in the first place? Because after a period of time, you'll start to get disillusioned at certain decisions that your boss may make. Or, or you're not getting along with certain work, workmates that are, that are around you and you start to get disillusioned. Then eventually, you don't want to go to work. But you know you have to. It's then you've crystallised. And your job begins to die, which is why we all get restless and we leave. Take marriage, for instance. Now, I can only give you my experience because I have this belief if you're in the right place, then God will bring the right person along. I was at a youth camp at Axtar, which is not that far from here. Some of you will know the Rotary Club that had a campsite. And I was one of the leaders and we... We always had our fun on a Saturday night and that was always good. And I looked across the auditorium and, and noticed this incredible, beautiful girl, this lady, who I felt was out of my league. But it was as if God was saying to me, this is the girl. This is the girl. Revelation. Well, after stressing for about an hour, I decided to go over and talk to her. And when she started getting into our conversation, I got excited. In other words, th there was inspiration that came in there. And we started going out together and, and getting involved in, in ministry. Eventually, we formalized it by getting engaged. Then 12 months later, we decided to institutionalize it and we walked down the front of the church that we were a part of and we got married. We became husband and wife. But folks, let me say this in this area of marriage. If you don't keep going back to fresh revelation in your marriage, then before long you will crystallize and your marriage will die. If Anne and I didn't keep going back and reminding ourselves why we believe that God is the glue in our marriage, in our lives, because that's the very thing that's kept us together. 
Not because Anne's prettier than me or I'm more handsome than her. That's a far from the truth, Michael. It's because we know that God brought us together those many years ago. And so we keep going back. Not that we keep walking down the aisle, but what we have decided to do is that every 10 years, we decided to renew our vows. Because we want to keep going back to that fresh revelation. This is why God brought us here. And maybe there's some here today or some watching on live stream. And maybe that's something that you need to look at doing. Renewing, renewing your vows, going back to that fresh revelation. There may be some here this morning saying, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Don't look at me. (laughs) Maybe you should look at me. (laughs) But if you don't, you'll quickly crystallize and our marriages die. Well, we can, we can put on a good front. And I know Anna myself at times, we've put on a good front when we're going through a hard time. Because you've got to believe it, we've had some interesting discussions together. Some people call them arguments, but we call them discussions. They just get a little bit loud, for me anyway. And we've gone through all of that. And it would have been very easy to say, ah, I'm out of here. Very easy. But we keep reminding ourselves This is why God put us together. You know, two different, totally different people. I'm the quiet one and the extrovert. Yeah, right. But friends, I don't want to be walking around dead in my married life. I don't want to be an embalmer to make it look good. I want to be an enabler to those that are around me to say, hey, as Paul the Apostle said, inspire to me what I do. I love that. I don't even want to be a monument for the pigeons to come and purchase and do their droppings on either. I want to be a mover, a mover of my marriage, but also a mover of others to follow. I don't, want my, I don't want my marriage to crystallize. I want that fresh revelation. And Ephesians 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, church, individual, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's to understand what is the knowledge of God that he's bringing into my life. What is that? I believe as churches we need to get back to that fresh revelation of why did God call a group of people here at Kerrang to commence a church and ultimately a Christian school? Why? Was it to reach a community? But if we don't seek Jesus for a fresh revelation, then we'll quickly go through the motions without the emotions. And will quickly crystallize and die. And that doesn't matter what we're doing now. And that goes for the school as it goes for us as a church. If we don't come back to those moments. Why did God call us here? Why did God call you here? Oh, well, I, 
got a job up here. Eh, that's part of it. Oh, well, that's the only teaching job that I could find. Hmm, that's part of it. But there's a calling in it. There's a calling in it. Because this city, this township, I should say, small, big, small city. That better? Thank you. Needed, needed us. They needed us. They needed us. To quote you, Kaz, a tribe. A good tribe that you could feel a part of. You see, we as a church here in Kerrang have a rich heritage. You've seen miracles take place. I've heard about those. But don't let past successes be blockages to the future move of God. You still need to be the light in the community. We still need to be the salt that seasons. We still need to be that fresh water that refreshes a thirsty community. And we need to be that part of that river that needs to flow out to a very dry and thirsty land spiritually. Let's keep coming back to fresh revelation. Let's regain that, that wonderful inspiration that comes out of that fresh revelation. Let's see God do miracles, signs and, and wonders in our midst. You know, sometimes in our Christian walk, we do become dry and we start to crystallise just like King David did. Hmm. And in Psalm 51, 12, he says, Restore in me the joy of my salvation. Do you remember when you first became a Christian? Can you think back that far? I know I can. And I know the joy that came into my life as a young boy kneeling beside my parents' bed saying, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. As a young boy. Now, some of you may have been older than that. But I know <clears throat> that when I got up from that position, there was a joy that came into my life that knew that I would be secure. Because at that moment, I was told if I didn't hear the trumpet of God, which is in Revelation, if I didn't hear that, then I wouldn't go to be with him. Now, if may it scared the hell out of me, but it brought me into the presence of God in a new way that I'd never been before as a young boy. Can you remember the joy? You see, David had allowed his emotions to override his morals. And he started to crystallise and die inwardly. Don't allow that to happen, folks, in your Christian walk or in your marriage. One of the great things that any I do, as I said, we love to just restore back those moments, that fresh revelation. We did it in a baptistry, would you believe, standing in a baptistry, quite bigger than that. And we just renewed our vows. We renewed our recommitment to God and to each other. Maybe that's what you need to do. We need to become those God chasers, people who are not interested in camping out on some dusty truth that is known to everyone, but are after a fresh presence of the Almighty. Yes, you may very well raise the eyebrows of 
some in the church, well, let it be. But usually it will lead you and the church from a place of dryness back into the place of his presence. When you enter his presence with praise, he enters your circumstances with power. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the revelation that you've given to to each person either here in church this morning or watching on live stream. That, Father God, if they've never had that true word placed into their lives, that I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Father, may it be today that like so many of us that have knelt before you and said, Lord Jesus, by faith, I invite you into my life. Jesus said, I stand at your door and I'm knocking and I want to come in. Maybe some need to do that this morning. Maybe there are those this morning who you know that you've started to crystallize in your Christian walk or in your marriage. And so I'm asking, Lord, that you'll bring a fresh revelation into their hearts right now. Oh, God, restore unto them the joy, the joy of that moment, the joy of not only receiving you into their lives, but maybe when they got married or when they had children or whatever it may be, Lord, that they'll keep coming back and getting that restoration of joy back into our lives. God, we want to be the most joyful people, even in the midst of sadness, yes, and we do cry. And we do have moments of feeling depressed. Yes, we do. But we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and you will be forever. And so, Lord, we long for that day when the trumpet of God shall sound and we shall be caught up in the twinkling of an eye and we'll spend eternity in that place that you have prepared for us. So today we give you thanks. We honour you today, Lord Jesus, and bless you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.